Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. And we are so glad each and every one of you are with us here today. There are some faces that we haven't seen in a while, and we welcome you. And possibly if you this is the first time that you have been here, we welcome you. Hallelujah. We are just, uh, we're just Bible-believing Christians that love the Lord Jesus. Amen. And uh, we're thankful for all that He has done for us and is doing through us. And uh, we believe, amen, that He is coming again. Hallelujah. And uh, we refer to that as a rapture of the church. That's not His literal second coming, but that's when He calls us up into the clouds. And some people would say, you guys are crazy, Billy Graham. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. We understand that we had a, uh, a great men's conference, and some of them rode the, uh, what do they call that, the mechanical bull, and some didn't. Well, I understand nobody uh, that attempted it lasted for very long got bucked off. All right. We're going to call your attention this morning to the book of Daniel, chapter number five, and uh, going to read verses one through six, and then 25 through 28. This is, uh, this is a very, very powerful story that we're going to be talking about here this morning. And it's, it's so incredible that uh, you truly, if you believe in the Bible as the Word of God, then it's not hard to believe. But to the outsider looking in, they might find the story just a little bit difficult and a challenge to believe. But it is very, very true, and I believe that it's important for us to really get a hold of the meaning of what was taking place in that day and uh, of the days, really, that we are living in. So Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, actually his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, excuse me, and his concubines might drink therein. Now, possibly 
there may be some that don't quite understand what's taking place here. Belshazzar is the king of Babylon. Babylon is the most powerful, the most powerful kingdom that there ever has been. And uh, it's incredibly powerful, very rich. And the king, his grandfather, had taken uh, captive uh, Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and taken the holy vessels that had been consecrated for the Levitical priesthood to use during their ministry and their worship to the Lord within that temple. And this man, in a drunken state, decided that he would show off. And uh, he brought him out, put wine in it, and they began to drink. Verse number three. And they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king, his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, iron, wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, probably a good idea to just stop there for just a moment. So are you getting the picture right in the midst of this drunken party, all of a sudden, there came a, the hand. The hand of a man appeared and began to write a message on the very wall of that party. All right? Then the king's countenance was changed. That means that he probably sobered up in a hurry. I mean, yeah. And his thoughts troubled him, right, yeah, so that the joints of his loins were loosed. His knees smote one against the other. In other words, all of a sudden he changed. His knees began to knock, and he began to tremble, trying to figure out, oh, boy, what is this? In verses 25 through 28. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Sorry for the slight delay here. Verse 27. Then Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. You got No, we got the wrong... 
chapter 5 and verses 26 through, or 25 through 8. 25 through 20, okay. All right, here we go. Now, so that's chapter 2 there. All right, here we go. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tikel, Upsharin, Charzan. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, or Upsharun, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And I would like to speak to you this morning on this thought. The writing is on the wall. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you just lift your heart to the Lord here for a moment. I'm going to ask Brother McCune if he would lead us in prayer. Amen. And uh, I would like us just to take a look at our current situation and what's going on in our own world. Not from a state of fear, but from a state of faith. Brother McCune, if you would pray. Amen. Thank you. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Daniel has been called the most prophetic book of the Bible. And uh, agree or disagree, the content of this book is certainly in the top tier. And some of we know some of Daniel's famous events that took place because he was a he began to. Uh, minister, actually. He was uh, taken captive as a young man, teenager, they probably say. And he served through four different kings. And some people don't understand that at the age of 85, thereabouts, was when he got thrown in the lion's den. And he served God fervently all of his life. Amen. And, of course, he was captured as a young person. He chose to take a stand. He said, King, he says, I'll not defile myself with basically the things of the world. God honored him and made him, even as a young man, God made him very, the Bible says, he made him wise and he gave him understanding and interpretation of dreams and visions and he was just a very bright young man. And, the, uh, of course, the three Hebrews during Daniel's time in the book of Daniel, we know three Hebrews, they would not bow down to that golden image. And because of them taking a stand in their day, that they chose, they said, I will not, we will not, bow to any other God except the God that we know to be true, the God Jehovah. They said, we will not bow. And we know the story. They were 
thrown in the furnace, and but they got out alive because there was a fourth that took a walk with them in the fire. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. And so Babylon at the time, they ruled over the entire known world. You catch the vision, read that vision, that dream that talks about the head of gold of Babylon. Every other kingdom since then has disintegrated. Okay? It was the most powerful of all kingdoms. And if we look at our story here this morning, the reign of the king of Babylon is Belshazzar. He is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who was a Babylonian king who destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, took thousands of gold and silver vessels that were used explicitly in the temple and tabernacle worship of God. It would be, how can you describe it? Something that had been dedicated for use only inside the house of God. And and Nebuchadnezzar had, had taken them and he had put them, they say, in a room, kind of a trophy room, to show off how great, the kingdom of Babylon was. And in our story this morning, Babylon was under siege. In other words, the Mede and the Persian armies were trying to overthrow the city of Babylon. But Belshazzar was not worried. Why? Well, because there had never been an enemy to penetrate that magnificent fortified city in nearly its 1,000-year existence. How old is America anyway? Babylon had been in existence for nearly 1,000 years. They had built this fortress. They had built an empire. They were rich. They were famous. They had never, that city had never, Never been, been penetrated from the outside. It was the largest city in the known world. It was protected by walls that were 80 feet thick. Some historians write as high as 320 feet with 250 watchtowers. 80 feet thick. Do you know how wide this building is here? Sister Kathleen, how wide is this building? This part, 50? The walls were 80 feet thick. You know how tall 320 feet is? Brother Jacob, how, how tall is 320 feet? How, far, how tall are those wind turbines? It was off limits. Could never, not a worry. The entire city was protected by a moat or a body of water that circled the city. And the body of water was 262 feet wide, 50 foot deep, 
The only way in was a huge drawbridge that could be lowered and raised. In fact, they say, some write, that within the city they had enough provisions to sustain the entire city for 20 years. And as the participants got drunk, they danced and partied. The king did something that was the ultimate act of sacrilege. He brought out the golden vessels. Wasn't enough that they had been drinking the intoxicating beverages from the plain old standard cups, probably of gold anyway, but they brought out the vessels of God and they, and they begin to drink alcohol out of them and continue in their mockery. They said, and it, the, what, what we read to you was that in this drunken state, they begin to praise the gods of silver and of gold. Wow. Why? Well, because they are worried. Poor time. We've lived a thousand years this way. And suddenly a hand appears and begins to write on the wall of the banquet room the most serious, the most incredible four-word sentence that really has ever been written. Mane, mane, turkel up parshin. The music stops. The dancers stop. The king stands in unbelief at what he is seeing. Some historians believe that that hand went over on the wall where the golden candlestick from the temple was lit up and used as a centerpiece. But the music stops. The king stands in unbelief. The thousand of his lords, his, you know, his entourage, the, the captains and the generals and the heads of state, they look with incredible unbelief at what is taking place. There is a hand that begins to write on the wall of this banquet hall. He begins to shake and tremble, begins to yell out, Somebody tell me what this is. And of course, like normal, it would take his wife to let him know that she has the answer to the dilemma. She says, Hey, Belshazzar, there is a man in your former court, he's been out of business for 17 years because you call him a religious fanatic lunatic, but your great or your grandfather, he was the one that found the wisdom that came from this man in interpreting dreams. And she says, I'm sure that if you bring him up, Bring him out of retirement. Daniel's about 81 years old. That he will give you the answer 
to this message. Wow. See, in order to really understand the significance of the fall of Babylon, what we're talking about here this morning, Babylon symbolizes what what it really symbolizes spiritually. Because it didn't have its beginning there. Really has its beginning in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. We find the story of Cush, who is Noah's son. After the flood, the Bible says that Noah, his son Cush, begot Nimrod. And Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, the Bible tells us. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom, the first name on the list was Babel. says in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Iraq, Akkad, Kalnuk, in the land of Shinar. Genesis 11 tells us the world was one language, and they journeyed to the plain of Shinar, settled down, and they said amongst themselves, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered upon the face of the earth. Majority of Bible interpreters tell us this action is in direct contradiction to the instructions God gave in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, spread out, occupy the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing. And again, after the flood in Genesis 9, chapter number 1, God again told him, he, the Bible says, God blessed Noah. Thank you, Brother Ali, for that lesson this morning. That's what God wants to do. But the blessing of God comes with obedience to his word. The blessing of God comes when we say, I know there is one God. I believe that it is the Bible that his word comes through. God breathed, God inspired. I believe that Jesus Christ was that invisible God that was in the beginning with God and the word was manifest and made flesh and we beheld him. And so Nimrod represents the first leader who persuaded people to rebel against the will of God and instead attempt to build a world empire leaving God out of their lives. Let us build a city and a tower and make a name for ourselves. According to the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus, Nimrod said he would be revenged on God. Listen to this. He would be revenged on God for destroying his forefathers in the great flood. It's not Bible. 
does come from Gezira. In fact, Nimrod means rebel. God came down, we know, as they begin to build that Tower of Babel. The Bible says that God looked on what they were doing. And he said, he came down and he looked at it and he said these words. He said, and now unless we restrain them, there will be nothing that enters into their minds that they will not be able to do. They said, whatever they imagine. And we know the story, how that God confounded their language and caused division and separated, and they went their own way, and they call that the Tower of Babel, which really was man's ongoing attempt to build an empire on earth without God in the midst of it. How many of you believe that? Belshazzar's question, what does it mean? It's written. You see, God had already foretold this very event in Isaiah 21, verse number 9. It reads like this. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Needless to say, listen carefully. These words of prophecy were spoken 176 years prior to them coming to fruition. You understand is that God has never ever meant for you and I to be caught up into any kind of a time or a period of time where chaos seems to be the rule of the day but he did not, he never left you and I, and he never meant to leave us in a place where we were without direction and, and uh, faith and a future that we know for sure is, is true. Never meant for us to be in a place of and frustration. Sure, the world around us sometimes causes us to blink and scratch our head and say, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Open the book. It is written already for us. There is never going to come a time anymore when the church, when the believers in the almighty God in Christ will ever be caught in a state of misdirection and confusion. Because today, it's not the writing on the wall that we have. It is the complete authorized edition. I hope we believe that. And Isaiah had already wrote 176 years Prior to it, God had moved on that prophet. And he said, Isaiah, write it down. Because there's going to come a time 
that Daniel is going to come before the greatest king that has ever lived and he is going to tell him that you cannot build a kingdom on earth without God involved in it and incorporate men's and women's lives in it and hope for anything more than chaos and destruction. Jesus said, he said, I have come to bring life and abundant life. But Satan has come to kill and destroy, to bring confusion to lives. And listen, I'm not going to get all political on you this morning. I just want to bring out a point. I mean, who would have ever thunk that the, the, the Olympics would have a controversy because of an individual that was winning all the swimming events. I mean, hands down, no competition. Oh, wait a minute. That person used to be a man, but now is a woman, and so competing with the women, and the women don't have a chance. Who would have ever thought that would what a controversy. You understand? Is it God God never brings chaos. God is not a God of confusion. He has set in order a creation that you cannot move it. You cannot contradict it without coming to a place of destruction and confusion. You cannot build on anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him buried and Him resurrected and Him ascended and Him pouring out the Holy Ghost and Him birthing the church and one day Him coming back. Isaiah had already wrote. So, Shazar called Daniel out of retirement. Daniel, listen, in the fifth chapter, verses 17 through 23, Daniel begins to remind the king that God is the one. You read it, we won't have a chance to go through it. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. Daniel begins to remind the king that God is the one who gave his grandfather the great kingdom of Babylon. Read it. Daniel says, hey, son, don't you realize that your grandfather was given the kingdom by God? And he went on to remind him that, yes, and he also had to humble him one time. Because he, because oh Nebuchadnezzar walked out one time and he says, "Whoa, look what I have done! Look what I have built!" And and God said, "Okay, well we'll settle that issue." And so literally for seven years he put him out in the field in the pasture with the cows. And the Bible says that his that. His hair grew 
like feathers for seven years. He became insane. And after seven years, remember, God sets him up, God pulls him down. After seven years, God put him back in the chair. I would have loved to have went out there and fed Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just wondering what kind of noises he made. Right? I mean... God, man, what a what a picture. And he, Daniel said, but you, he says, but you have lifted yourself up. You have desecrated the holy vessels of God by drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of gold and silver, and you have not glorified the true God. So the God you have made fun of has sent this hand to write you a message for me. You know, in a, in a sense, I wonder what kind of a message that God would write on the walls of this church as a body or as an individual. I don't know about you, you don't put it on the big screen? I don't think so. I'll pass, right? And, and, and Daniel said, this is the writing. He says, this is an interpretation. That first word, mene, mene, that simply means when it's recorded in the Bible that, God, that it is going to happen in a hurry. God has numbered your kingdom, Belshazzar, and finished it. Your time's run out. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and <laughs> the scale doesn't match. You've come up short. And a parson. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, imagine that very night, the Medes and the Persians diverted that water that was 262 feet wide. They diverted that water somehow and drained it low enough to where the army marched underneath the gates of an impregnable city that had never been conquered for 1,000 years. They marched right in. While the, while the watchtowers, 250 of them, were watching on, a, on scaffolds 300 feet high, they were watching out there, and the enemy was coming. As they were saying, there is nothing impossible with God, whether it be the good, the bad, or the ugly. Nothing is impossible with God. He will accomplish His will. As it is written, so shall it be fulfilled. There has never been and there will never be a man that is 
powerful enough to overcome the church and the will and the Word of God. They do not exist. That night Belshazzar was slain. The writing was from God. It was true. It was quick. It was powerful. Uh, something we'll make reference to later in a few minutes, but notice what happens. In verse number 29, Daniel is promoted. For those who could discern the writing on the wall, for those that have an understanding of the times, there is a promotion in your future. So we have the incompletion of the Tower of Babel. We have the destruction of the and the dividing of the Babylonian Empire. But the pride of men in their attempt to build a world without God continues even to our day. The world is even now looking for the next leader to have answers to persuade a world that they do not have to worry about eternity, nor do they have to worry about the writings that are contained in this book. The world is looking as they always have. They're looking for the next Nimrod. They're looking for the next Belshazzar. We are seeing even today how far out a couple of men that are very persuasive do not believe in Jesus Christ as the supreme God of the universe, the creator of all things. They do not believe that. Listen to me carefully. You can be a participant in building man's world you can be a participant in partnering with God and building His kingdom. His kingdom is first and foremost installing Jesus Christ upon the throne of your life. I made a commitment, and if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you also. I will worship Him and Him only. I will live for Him and Him only. I will love Him paramount in my life. He will always be my first love. I will preach and I will teach only in His name. This world will continue to make a city and name for themselves. But as it is written, this world will crumble. Both our stories, there had to be a leader to persuade others not to worry about building their lives according to what was written. I am dumbfounded when I listen to the goings-on in current events. I am just completely, I, I am bonkers, wondering how in the world did we arrive here. It is because... It, that they are praising the gods of silver and of gold. 
and they are making a mockery of the sacred things that God designed to be the absolute foundation of life itself. You will never, you will never build a world upon the idea that you can replenish the earth with a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It is an impossibility. You cannot build a world that way. You will go extinct. Both our stories are had to be a leader. Revelation 17 and 18 tells the story of the final fall of a world empire built by godless men. I don't have time to go through it all. You can read it. I know that you will have thoughts and you might interpret different things. But there is a move going on just as sure as Babylon and the Tower of Babel were true. There is a movement on today to incorporate a worldwide empire that in, under false flags will promote to a certain degree religion. Not salvation, but religion. Religion is self-man-made. Salvation, Jesus said, He said, there's only, He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, there is no other way. There is a movement going on. They're looking for what they think is the men of peace. They need the world. Listen carefully. The world needs a man they think is a man of peace right now to come on the global stage. They're looking for him. They're hoping that somebody steps up to the plate and has the answer. With me? And Revelation 17 and 18 tells that story of the final fall of a world empire built by godless men. Men who would choose to follow a leader that is anti God, or as we know today, would be anti Christ. Oh, once again, we are not caught by surprise because it is not just written on the walls of Congress. It is written in the book, and this book continues to be the bestseller worldwide, globally. They may have to go underground to share what the, this book reads, but it is real, it is truth, it is light. It is transformation. It is the message that will save. It is the message that will get you to a place called heaven. John in all of his 
must have been like, Lord, how do you expect me to remember all of this? How do you expect me to put this into words and describe everything that is going to be taking place? You know, what is it that dragons with fire coming out their tails or whatever? That sounds a lot like modern missiles and stuff. But John writes and he says, in 17 and 5, he says, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Her sins have reached unto heaven. Just like the dragon. God is not caught by surprise. He knows what is inside the heart of man. He knows that men have this ambition that without him included in their life, that all they do is they want to reach the hall of fame. All they want to do is to have the, the biggest building in New York with their name attached to it. They want to have the biggest yacht. They want you to think that there's something great when you watch the YouTube or whatever and see them and their gold and their silver and their rings and whatever else they have. And the world says, oh my goodness, wouldn't we like to be like them? Are you with me? The Bible, the, God wrote in His Word and He says, God hath not chosen the wise of the world, but He has chosen the simple to confound the wisdom of this world. The world will never get the idea of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The world will never understand that. But to you and I, it is the power of the cross that we look to to solve life's dilemmas and to cast away all my fear and my doubt and my frustrations and allow me to live in His kingdom, the Bible says, which is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you. And I'm like the rest of you. Sometimes people, you know, you go somewhere and people look at you. You're kind of crazy, you know that? Yeah, I know. Why would you say something like that? Well, because like my grandkids said, Papa, when are you ever going to act your age? But you understand, is it, it, is not, it is not something that is man-made. You understand? The baptism of the Holy Ghost, if we honestly have received it, and if we believe it is what it is, it is a baptism of fire. It is a baptism of power. The word power is like dynamite, not like a M80. And it is a baptism of, of that fire inside of us that burns off the impurities and, and persuades us and compels us and impels us. I want to be a better person. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to love you 
as my brother, no matter what color you are, no matter what skill, what language you speak. That's what we're here for. We're to love because we are building God's kingdom on earth. And one day, uh, it will no longer be on earth. It will be in eternity. But right now, I'm, I am partnering with him and laboring with him to build his kingdom on earth. His kingdom. Kings of the earth standing as the Bible says, God looks and remembers their iniquities. You read it, it's full, I'm telling you. And the kings of the earth stood afar off as they saw, listen carefully, as they saw Babylon go up in smoke and they proclaimed, the great city of Babylon, the mighty city has fallen in one hour. Take your pick. There's all kinds of conjectures about where that city is, what kingdom that is. I'll tell you what it is. It is the kingdom that, ha that men have been building without God in their plans. That's what Babylon is. And it will not stand. But oh, I have good news this morning. Jesus is building His church. And he said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys. I know you're, you're, you're pretty much good for nothing here, you know, in a, in a few months because, you know, you're, you, you, you say you love me, but you're a bum. He says, but I'm still giving you the keys. He says, I, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Peter. He says, I'm going to build my church on what, Lord? I'm going to build my church on your knowledge and your belief that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, and once you get that in your heart and your mind, I want you to know that I am building the church, Peter. I'm asking you for your help. But it will, don't mistake, I'm the one that's doing the building. He says, and I'm going to build my church. He said, I'm going to build my church on this rock. He said, and this, he said, the gates of hell will never, ever, ever, the gates, Babylon will never prevail against my church, ever. Jesus is building his church. His church is the kingdom on earth. Silver and gold. I got a Ulysses S. Grant gold dollar coin. But you know what? It's not really gold because it's made in America. So you know it can't be gold, right? Yeah, whatever. It's, it's fool's gold. I carry it though, so hello. Peter said, he said, hey, silver and gold, I ain't got none. He says, but what I do got, I'm telling you a little bit for you. I'm telling you, Brother Jacob, 
that when you went down in that water, when you repented of your sins and you went down on that water and Brother Woods baptized you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you entered into his kingdom on earth, his espoused bride, the church of the living God, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. What we do have is not just spiritual graffiti on some subway wall, as the songwriter wrote. But we have every word from God to man. We know without the grace of God, we are all rebellious. Because we have all come short of the glory of God. There is nobody except for the grace of God. In your life. Let me close with a story. The woman caught in the act of adultery. As they come to the musical instrument. Pharisees brought her to Jesus. Hoping that they would catch him. In some kind of a conflict. Against the laws of the land. They brought her before Jesus. And they said. Hey look. They said Jesus. Moses and the law demands that we stone her. Right here in it. Stoner. Hmm. Waiting to see what he would do. Oh, I love it, don't you? Bible says he Bible says he kneels down. He kneels down stands up, and the only one left standing is a woman caught in sin because the others had, had to leave because they could not cast that first rock without sin. Stands up, the only one left standing is a woman caught in sin. He says, go and sin no more. He says, I do not condemn you. I want you to know my sins are written in the sand that he stood on, but on this earth that he knelt on, and it is written, we all come short of the glory of God, but my sins, they're written in the sand of this earth, but the blood that dropped from Calvary's cross washed all of those sins away. It was like the great ocean tide that came in and completely wiped them away. Now I'm telling you that my, my sins have been washed away like, like the, the, the sand on that seashore, but my house is built upon the rock and the storms will come, Brother Ali. They will come. Storms will come. But the wind will come and the rain will come and the wind and the rain and the wind and the rain. But that man that has built his house upon the rock instead of the sand, it will be standing in the end. That's the church. That's our living God. One day our time will run out. The proverbial handwriting is on the wall. The psalmist wrote and he said, God help me to know the number of my days. In case you didn't know it, you're all human as you stand. You're not going to live forever in this life. The old body, I don't know how many of you have somebody complimented me today and they told me I had gray hair. I says, I do not have the gray hair. It is brown. 
you're over 50 that, you know, that your, your, your time clock is kind of, you know, it's set to a, a little bit different than when you were younger? Uh, oh, my, my, my. This is just, this is just the house of flesh that I live in. What comes out of me is my soul, my spirit. It is the voice that God has given me, and he is molding and shaping my heart and my life as well as he is yours. But you've got to let him in. You have to let him in. The writing is on, not the wall, but the writing is in the book. And I look forward to the writing that says this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. I choose not to dance in Babylon's judgment hall. But instead, I will worship God. I will worship God with everything that is within me in the house of God. I will worship Him. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 and 52. It is written. <laughs> it's written. Oh, I wish there would be a hand come down and write on the wall today and remind us of this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound. The dead shall be raised, incorruptible. We shall be changed. And Brother Cliff or Brother Ryan, I asked Brother Cliff if he would have the scripture ready. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16. If you can get that up there. Amen. But I'm here to remind We're not living in Babylon. We're living in the church. We are alive. We are alive as God is alive today, and he is working and operating in each and every one of us. And if you're here today, I assure you that the Lord knows where you're at. He knows everything about you. He knows if you have a need here today. And you've got to believe that if you have a need, that he's big enough to minister to that need. Brother Ryan, do you have that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We want to close with this. but Maybe he cannot get it up there. It went blank on him. Somebody got that real quick? We got a mobile Bible that they could read that real quick. I want to close with this. I want to close with with these scriptures. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16. Brother Richard Kirk talked really loud. Sam, go.
then we, then we which are alive are near him. And then it goes on and says, says, and comfort one another with these words. I'm looking forward to that day, but I don't want it to come too soon. You know what I mean? If you're here, we want to give you an opportunity this morning to come to the front. Amen. Spend some time with the Lord. Lift your heart. Surely everyone here today has something to thank the Lord for today. Amen. If you're here today and you need a miracle, if you need special prayer, we will do, we will pray with you and for you that the Lord would meet whatever need it is that you have today. But why don't we all just take a couple of minutes and amen, let's come and Let's seek him for just a few minutes. Hallelujah. Our guests, our friends that have visited here today, we invite you to come. We promise you we're not going to, you know, we're not going to handcuff you and break your arms and legs or anything like that. We just, this is, this is the altar. This is the place that we close out our services. And, and symbolically, really, it is our our way of getting close to the Lord and acknowledging that He is supreme in our lives. A recommitment, a rededication, whatever it is. We invite you to come. Hallelujah. Get playing and sing. Let's just lift our hearts to Him here this morning. Thank Him for all that He has done. If you have a special need, if you need special prayer, if you need a miracle in your life, You'll come right down here to the very front and we will anoint you with oil and we will pray with you and for you. Hallelujah. Otherwise, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes and worship Him, lift our hearts, begin to thank Him for His goodness, His mercy. Hallelujah. For the liberty and the freedom that we have to worship Him. Oh, He is so good to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
your kingdom come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Amen. You got to admit, it's a really exciting time to live in. Right? It's exciting stuff going on. Hallelujah. But only, but only if your faith is stronger than your fear. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. But that doesn't mean our concern is lessened any. I have I have friends that live in Europe. Friends that live, we have a church in Ukraine. There are people that are living, they are living on the border of things that are going on over there, and we just need to remember to pray. I, don't, I never want to take, who would have ever thought that Canada would, would be in a situation that they were in the last couple of days. That's crazy. That's men trying to build an empire without God, where they... They, they lose they lose the commandment of treating people like they should be treated. I'm an old car guy, right? Every one of you, every one of you has a star on your forehead. Do you know what that means? That you're a Mercedes-Benz when I look at you. You're not a Chevrolet. You are a Mercedes-Benz. That's the way God looks at you. You are, you are primo. That's the way we have to look at it. If people would just learn how to love one another and treat, treat people with respect and not try to build their own little empire. Amen, amen, amen. We appreciate each and every one of you, our visitors, our guests. Hallelujah. Please do remember to pray for Brother Jacob. Amen. He's driving uh, an hour, right? An hour each way to get here on Sundays. And so let's remember to, to uh, pray for this young man and the rest of you. And uh, live for the Lord with everything that you got. Hallelujah. Okay? Amen. Let's just lift our hearts one more time. I'm going to ask Sister Reyes if she would pray and dismiss us, please. Sister Marlene.